My name's Addison, like Greg said earlier. Uh, I get the opportunity to uh, be here on staff at Outpost, and so what I do is I get to help serve our students, and I also get to help uh, Kate, who's our kids director. I get to help her serve our kids as well, and so I've been here for about a year. We moved up from Dallas. It's been a blast, um, and so something, if you have not noticed today, that's a little bit different is it's Family Sunday, and so on the fifth Sunday every month, we will have a family service, so there's no Outpost Kids service in the back. So where are all the kids at? Kids? All right, so we got all the kids here. Not only do we have kids here, but we also uh, later are doing baptisms. And so uh, because of those two things, which, oh yeah, by the way, Greg forgot to say that earlier. He asked me to say that and cover for him. After service, we're doing baptisms, okay, across into uh, the kids' pool part in the back, okay? So right after I'm done... Uh, we'll go right across the hallway. But anyways, because there's baptisms, because it's Family Sunday, we decided that it was a good opportunity to take a break from Colossians and uh, give you some insight into what we've been teaching our kids and our students. And so next week, Todd is going to uh, come up here and teach, and then the week after that, Greg will finish up Colossians. But today, we are going to talk about contentment. And uh, contentment is something we talked in the past semester to both our students at uh, our monthly gathering called Base Camp in February and then in March with our kids. And so we're going to talk about it. And, and it's not really us. It's just we're going to open the Bible and see what God has to say about contentment. And so let me pray and then we'll get started. Lord, you are so, so, so good. I pray that uh, as I teach today that there is 0% Addison in what I have to say and 100% God. And I pray that if there's any percentage of me that wants to uh, give my own thoughts or opinions, that you take that away and that we are focused today on you and who you are. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Well, uh, six... Seven months ago in November, however long that was, in November, I got the opportunity to uh, go up with my buddy Tommy and go skiing in Red Lodge. And, and so a little bit about me is I grew up in Dallas, but every spring break, my family would take a trip, and so I would get to go skiing every week. And so I got pretty good, and I love skiing. I love it. And so I was pumped when Tommy and I got to go up to Red Lodge and, and ski. And so uh, we get up there, and I got new skis. I'm excited. I put them on. Uh, the first run goes pretty well. Okay, I'm not doing anything too crazy. I'm just getting my legs back under me. Okay, the second run is when things got a little bit spicy, okay? So the second run, if you've never been to Red Lodge, let me paint you kind of a picture, okay? So halfway down the main mountain, like if you're going to the base, there's a run there, it's a green, it's easy, and then there's a catwalk that goes straight to the left to the other side of the mountain. And so uh, Tommy's ahead of me, and I'm watching him and what he's doing, and he takes this wide turn over in that catwalk to go to the other lift. So I know I'm supposed to go over to the left, and I'm following Tommy. The only difference was, okay, and this is where it gets interesting, is I did not take a wide turn. So I was trying to catch up with him. I decided I was just going to go like bomb the mountain, and then right at the turn, I was going to stop really quick, and then I'll be caught up with him. Okay, so sounds great, right? However, 
there was something I did not realize. And, and I, as I got closer to that catwalk, I realized something, that there was a jump that I was heading towards. I did not see it. Uh, and, and right in front of me, there's a jump, okay? And so on the other side of the jump, there's this cliff with rocks and trees. It's, no, it's, it's not good news. And, and so, uh, but in that moment, I decided I was going to do the jump. You know, there's no better, uh, better way to get acclimated back to skiing than just, you know, throwing yourself in it. And so I do the jump, and, and so I'm going up this jump, and right before I go up, I realize something, okay, that's important as far as going off of jumps on skis is concerned. It's important to know, and it's an important question to ask yourself, which is, hey, if I go off of this jump, uh, where am I going to land? That's the question I forgot to ask myself. And so I go off this jump, and in the middle of the uh, air, I have a business decision I have to make, okay? That decision is, do I try to be the hero and try to land on the rocks, kind of grab a tree, maybe swing myself around, and then head uh, farther on that catwalk and act like nothing happened, okay? So that's option A. Option B is I take one for the team, and I lean back and just call it a day and hope I don't break any bones and then get up and deal with the consequences. I chose option B, okay? I've, I've been around long enough to know that option A was not a good option, and so I, I leaned back, I fell, uh, nothing, it, I mean, it went fine, I didn't break any bones, I got back up, and then I caught back up to Tommy. He was like, hey, wh where were you? Because it took some time to get back up. I was like, oh, nothing. Um, and so, anyways, this happens, and, and so about an hour later, we're going back up on that uh, ski lift, and I start checking all my pockets, and I realize that I don't know where my wallet is. And, and so I made the same conclusion that a lot of y'all have already made, which is, I lost it when I fell, right? And so, uh, and let me tell you, if I lost it when I fell, there's no way I was gonna get, get it back, because it, it was long gone. And so, and so uh, I, I go on through the day, and I ski with Tommy, and it was fun, but what was happening in the back of my head was I was running through this spiral of all the things I was going to have to do because I lost my wallet. And so because I lost my wallet, I got to go to the DMV, uh, and I'm conditioned from Dallas to think that that's going to be like a four-hour process, and then I got to go to the DMV, and then I got to do that uh, eye test, and then I don't know if y'all noticed, but my right eye doesn't really work, and so then I'm going to have to go to the eye doctor to get a prescription or a note from the doctor that tells them I'm okay to drive, and then I'm going to have to go back and get my license, and then I'm going to have to cancel all my credit cards and my debit cards, and then I'm going to have to get new credit cards and debit cards, and that's what was going on in the back of my mind. And, and what happened, the result of that, was it took me in a spot of something I loved doing and skiing with a great friend, and I couldn't fully enjoy it because I was worried about my wallet. I wasn't fully content. I thought I needed my wallet. And so we go on the rest of the day, and we finish skiing, we come back to Cody, and uh, I am wiped out. I am wiped out. And so it's like 6.30 or 7 probably, and I go straight to bed. And I get in bed, I get all comfortable, and I turn around and I look at my bedside table, and I see something. <laughs> what do you think I see? My wallet, right on the bedside table. Okay, so here's why I tell you that story. So, so if you haven't paid attention, pay attention now. Here's why I tell you that story is because the thing I thought I needed to be content, the thing I thought I needed to enjoy skiing, I actually had the whole time. And today, we're going to try and learn the same thing. 
Paul tells us the thing that we think we need to be content, we have already. And, and so Paul tells us that, but my problem, and I think our problem, is that we often try to look for contentment. We try to look for that thing in the wrong place. Or we're trying to look for the wrong thing in the right place, or even the wrong thing in the wrong place. But we often miss the mark when it comes to contentment. And, and so when I made this message, and when I'm preaching it and teaching it today, I'm making an assumption, and I'll raise my hand and tell you, I'm making an assumption. And it's a big assumption, but here's that uh, assumption, is that I'm guessing that if I were to pull the room and have you raise your hand, if in the past month or two you have struggled with contentment or discontentment or had thoughts of discontentment, I'm thinking everyone would raise their hand. And I'm, and I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. And the reason I'm right, and I, th I think I'm right, is because uh, two reasons. One, we're all human. And we as humans naturally are discontent people. We start off at, at a deficit as being discontent. And not only are we human and discontent, but also on top of that, we live in a culture that thrives off of our discontentment. The world around us, this is going to be a key theme today, the world around us wants you to be discontent. The world around us wants you to be discontent. And so I want to, from the top, I want to address a few things, okay? The first is this. Today is not a message about it's okay to be lazy. That's not what it's about. And so if you hear that, then I apologize, but that's not what we're talking about. Last week, Greg talked about uh, working and working for God. And so to work and work for God and work hard is good. We're called to do it. It is a good thing. But it is also good to be content. And I think that we live in a world and a culture that tries to take those two things and separate them and say it's impossible. But those things can coexist. We can work hard and be content, and that's our goal. And, and so today we're going to open up. We've been in Colossians, so a few pages behind, it's going to be Philippians. We'll be in Philippians 4, and we're going to open up. And what happens is, and, and so Philippians 4, 10 through 13, Paul gives us a blueprint uh, and kind of a roadmap to contentment. And so it's going to be on the screen behind me, but I'll go ahead and read it. It says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And this is the verse we all know. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. And so before I, uh, we kind of dissect this as a group, I kind of want to take a minute to uh, do what we all should do anytime we open up a new uh, book or a letter, which is talk about some of the context around. And so uh, what's happening in uh, Philippians, it's a letter that Paul's writing to the church of Philippi. And, and so the background is that Paul had planted this church about 10 years prior to this letter. And he loves these people. It's probably his first, uh, it's definitely the first church planted in Europe, and it's probably one of the first ones that Paul planted. And so he has, it has a special place in his heart. And then additionally, somewhere along the line, probably recently or right before he is writing this, 
these people gave him a gift. And, and we know that that gift is most likely a, a pile of money. And so these people, this church, has uh, gifted Paul money on his uh, missions endeavors. And so what this letter is, is basically a thank you letter. It's a thank you note from Paul to the church of Philippi. And, and he does some other things along the way. He encourages them. He pushes them on for more. But he's really a thank you letter. He's trying to communicate his love for these people. Well, what about Paul? Well, a lot of us know a little bit about Paul. And, and so this is a guy that you know the story who uh, was persecuting Christians. And when, I say, when we say persecuting Christians, it's just a better way of saying he was killing Christians. It was his job to kill Christians, but God got a hold of his life and brought him to his knees and focused his eyes on Christ, and it changed his life. And, and which, by the way, uh, is if you're in here and a Christian and you have, uh, you know, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If that's your story, you have the same story as Paul. And, and his is crazier, but it's the same story, and God's done the same thing in your life that he's done in his life, but that's besides the point. So what's important today for you to know about Paul is this is a guy, because of his story, he has sat across the table and sat in palaces across the table from kings and queens, the richest people of the richest people. And, and this is also a guy in Paul that's writing this letter to this church from a jail cell. And, and he, he alludes to it earlier, he actually thinks he's going to get executed. And so he's in jail, thinks he's about to be executed, but he's writing that he's still content. And I say this because it's really important to know if there is anybody ever that we should listen to when it comes to contentment, wouldn't it be Paul? Wouldn't it be the guy who's seen it all? He's been the high, the high, and the low, the lows. Like, that's the guy I want to listen to if he knows anything about what it's like to be content. And he tells us he knows how to be content in any and every circumstance. And so when I say that, it makes sense to us, right? That we want to listen to that guy because he's seen it all. And that makes sense to us because our first point is true. And our first point is this. Contentment is non-circumstantial. Our contentment cannot be dictated by our circumstance. Listen to what verse 10 and 11 say. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for him, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation, in what situation, whatever situation, I am to be content. And let me just say from the top, like that doesn't sound like a guy who's writing this from jail. He's rejoicing to the Lord. He's telling him, I don't need, I'm not in need. I'm content in whatever circumstance. That doesn't sound like a guy who's in jail, but he is in jail. And I think he's able to say this because Paul understands how to balance something that a lot of us in this room, myself included, don't really know how to balance. And, and it's this idea, and I think you need to hear this, okay? Everybody needs to hear this. Hey, your circumstances today, your hurts, your hangups, your habits, your wounds, your circumstances matter. So you need to hear that. Our circumstances matter. Okay, but... Our circumstances cannot dictate our contentment. And that makes sense. Think about it. Like, think about your own situation, your own circumstances. A lot of us in this room have jobs. A lot of us have families. A lot of us have uh, hobbies or uh, 
uh, entertainment or extended family even. We all have these things that are trying to pull us in different directions. Our family wants our time over here and we have a job over here that wants our time and our friends are over there and they want our time and, and all of these things are pulling us in different directions and if we, are, uh, if we are basing our contentment on being perfectly balanced between all of those things, the reality is it's probably not going to happen. Not only that, but uh, like think of the to-do list mindset. Like we go to work and we have a to-do list and, and we live in this mindset that I call the well, if only mindset. And so, well, if only I had or if only I could or if only I did, then I would be okay. But the problem with that is that all of us today are going to die and when we die, we're probably gonna have things on our to-do list still to do. And so the problem is it's a never-ending cycle. We will never finish everything we think we should do to be content. Our circumstances change. They're too easily pushed around for us to base our contentment on. And that's what Paul's trying to say. He says, in any circumstance, in any situation, I can be content. The reason he can say that is because he's lived it. He's seen it. He's been in the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. And he knows he cannot base his contentment on his circumstance. But the thing is, I think, and something that's a problem is that a lot of us, I think, already know this. I don't think anything I've said is news to us. But the question is, if that's true, how come me and so many of us so often go back to that mindset? and we base our contentment, and, and maybe we know it's true, but our actions and the way we live tell us we don't believe it, and that we do base our contentment on our circumstances. And I think Paul knows that this is true as well, and so the next couple of verses, he gives us two solutions to that problem. And so let's read 12 and 13. It says this, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so when I read that, and when you read that on the screen, there's a word in there that all of your antennas should have gone up whenever you read that word. And it's this word secret. Like, Paul, are you telling me that there's a secret that if only I knew I would be content forever? And it kind of, he is. And so what's that secret? Well, he tells us in verse 13, the secret is I can do all things through him, through Christ, through Jesus, who strengthens me. And so, uh, look, I hate uh, to be the bearer of bad news, uh, but I think I'm about to bear some bad news for some of us in the room because that verse is so often is taken out of context, okay? So if the only time you're using that verse is in a classroom and you're sitting and your teacher's passing out a test that you forgot to study for and you sit there, Lord, I know I can get an A on this test through you who strengthened me. I have some bad news. That's probably not the real intention of that verse, okay? But the real intention of that verse is actually something better. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's saying, like, the purpose of that verse is not so you can get an A on a test, but he's saying, like, hey, focus yourself on, on Jesus. It's, it's changing a focus from me, 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 me to God, 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 God. And when we do that, it's going to change how we view our circumstances. It's going to change how content we are. This is our second point. Contentment is about perspective. What are you looking at? And so I'm going to take a second here. 
and, and remove myself uh, kind of from what I'm talking about and talk about and address the cultural climate we live in. And, and because I think it's really important to talk about and to deal with when we're talking about contentment. The reality is, like, I'm a student's guy. And so I get uh, a lot of time with high schoolers and junior hires. And uh, here is th just three phrases I constantly hear, okay? Three phrases. No, no days off. The grind never stops. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Three phrases I hear all the time. And so uh, those are promoting discontentment. What's, what's uh, additional on top of that is that there's social media and advertisements, which is legitimately a business. Like ad, the ad business is literally based off of how discontent they can make people, and then they can slide in and say, hey, the thing that you need to be content, I can give you. That's what they're trying to do. And, and social media, which is I've rebranded, okay, and I call them comparison platforms, which all they're doing, or a lot of what they're doing, is giving you a bunch of other people to compare yourself to and say, well, I don't have that, or I don't have that, if only I had that. And, and so all of this is true, but there's even more, okay? So those are material things. But even more than just material things, we all live in a sinful, broken world. And so there's things around us, and, and it's right for us to feel the way I'm about to describe, but there's things around us. Like this past week, I've heard of a guy who had surgery to remove cancer, and I heard a guy who discovered he had cancer. Cancer is killing us, and it's all around us. Not only cancer, but there's war. What about the war in Ukraine? Oh, and not even just the war, but on top of that, there's school shootings that are happening all the time around us. And so we as Christians should see that, and our heart should ache. I'm not saying it shouldn't. It should ache. We want to see Christ glorified and him deal with sin, and that should be our actions. But it's also true of Paul's era. Christians are being killed on the daily, and uh, Paul is sought out, unrightfully sought out to die. And it's unfair, the situations he's in. So why does it matter that's the same thing? Because verse 13, and this is really important, okay? Verse 13 is not saying I can live a happy life because Christ continually makes my life easier. That's not what it's saying. What Paul is saying when he's writing that is I can be content in a jail cell with the threat of death over me because I have Christ who is strengthening me. And so, Cody, Wyoming, 2022. We can be content without the latest and greatest iPhone. We can be content despite how your 401k is doing. We can be content despite the school shootings, the evil. We can be content despite who's president, okay? We can be content in Cody, Wyoming because God is strengthening us. It's about God, it's not us. What is our perspective? What are we viewing the world around us through? What lens? Um, my brother, his name's Hogan, uh, and, and so my brother, when he, he, all growing up, had terrible eyesight. And we never really knew he had bad eyesight because he always had it, and so we just like, didn't think anything of it until one day, uh, well, there's a few different things that happen, but one day, uh, we're on, in our living room, and we have this long, like, 12-foot-ish table, and my dad was like, hey, Hogan, can you go get that glass of water, okay? So the glass of water is over here. It's on the left side of the table. And Hogan goes, yeah, I got it, and makes a beeline for the right side of the table and is on his way to pick up a candle, okay? And I don't know how smart y'all are, but a candle is not a water bottle or a, a glass of water. And, and so when that happened, 
we, our antennas started going, hey, maybe there's a problem here. Maybe he can't really see. And uh, there are other things, like he had to sit in the back of the classroom because he couldn't really see the whiteboard. And all of this happened. And we finally went to the doctor. We got him glasses. And I remember that first week that he had glasses on. It was like a whole new world to him. Because all of a sudden, everything around him was clear. But it was clear because he had the right lens. Listen, Paul is content because he's viewing what's around him through the lens of Jesus and the Bible and of Scripture. He's remembering and living in a response to the gospel. And that's how he views things. That's his lens. We so often look at the world around us through the lens of what can it do to help me. It's a selfish lens. And I want to tell you, if that's you, we have even more to, like the lens that God gives us viewing the uh, world through the lens of Jesus and what he's done for us is so much better than our own deficit lens, our own selfish lens. And so let me ask you, what is your perspective? What are you viewing the world around you through? The way we view ourselves, the world, the circumstances will determine how content we are. When we're focused on Jesus, we'll be content. But I said this earlier, and I think it's still true. That's our second point, and I think a lot of us also knew that point. And so there's something that has to be missing, right? So what's the problem? The problem is I know all this stuff, but I keep going back to discontentment. I keep feeling like I need something else to make me okay. And it wasn't until recently, I've read this a lot of times, it wasn't until recently I picked up on something that Paul does here. And it's a word and an idea that kind of repeats itself. And, and so I'm going to read uh, a couple of the verses, and it will be behind me, and the word will be bolded. It says this, starting in verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have what? Learned. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know, in order to know something, you had to learn it. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, and in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hey, uh, that's a really, really, really important idea, and it's an important word. Our last point is this. Contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. Why is that important? It's important for two reasons. Let me give you the first. It says it's important that it's, uh, it's this promoting this idea that it is okay to be where you're at. If it's something we have to learn, we're not expected to right off the bat know and be content in every circumstance. And so hear me say that it's okay to be where you're at, but it's not okay to stay there. It's okay to be where you're at, but it's not okay to stay there. So let me ask you the question, are you learning to be content? Are you trying to learn to be content? The second reason is this, it's not something we just wake up and have. We don't wake up and then have contentment. And so that, it's a, something that's learned, like we're learning it, it's a, a knowledge, it's something that's gradual. And so the difference here, and you have to ask yourself, like what are we learning? Okay, we're learning how to be content, but what does that mean? Well, what Paul had to learn is that verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, is true. 
So how do you learn that verse 13 is true? Paul had to be in a place, okay, this is really important. Paul had to be in a place where he was on his knees and there was zero amount of Paul in all Christ. He had to come to a place where he was totally and utterly dependent on Jesus in order to actually realize that verse 13 is true. And we have to be completely dependent on Christ in order to know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us because otherwise we're going to continually try to do things ourselves. We're going to continually try to control the circumstances we're in in order to control our contentment that we have. And it's not until we have 0% of ourselves and 100% of Christ, completely dependent on Christ, that we will truly understand that verse 13 is 100% correct. And so dependency on Christ will lead us to contentment in every circumstance. Independency on ourselves will lead us into discontentment 10 out of 10 times. And so let me ask you this. Are we learning to be content uh, and dependent on Christ? Or are we, and I think that we do this a lot, are we training ourselves to be dependent on ourselves? Are we being dependent on Christ or are we training ourselves to be dependent on ourselves? And we have to be intentional with this. If we're not intentional, what's going to happen is our emotions, our feelings, our circumstances, our feelings about those circumstances are going to come up and they're going to cloud the lens we see things in. They're going to tempt us into saying, hey, if only you had or if only you could or if only you did or if only you were, then you would be content. And so we have to be intentional about being dependent on Christ. I heard the phrase, if, dependent, if dependence is the goal, weakness is our advantage. And so how do we be intentional about this? Well, I'm going to run through uh, a few things, four things, that we can ask ourselves when this pops up. Okay, the first is this. Re- remember what Christ has done for you. What has Christ done for you? I, I can tell you what Christ has done for me. John 3, 16. God loved, uh, so loved the world that he sent his only son. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And so I mentioned it earlier, Romans 10, 9 through 10, says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But not only that, if you're saved, then later, I think in 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 17, it says that we're a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And okay, if that's true, and John tells us that uh, we're actually adopted into the family, we are called children of God, I can tell you what God has done for me. He has adopted me, and to him he's given me eternal life. He has saved my life. I was nothing. I was dead in my trespasses, and now I have the fullness of God. And God sees me, Romans tells us, uh, he sees me as righteous in his own eyes. That's what God has done for me. What has God done for you? What he is doing. What is God doing today? Uh, there's a bunch of different ways we can act, like, tell ourselves this. One, our community group. Ask your community group, what has God done? We ask that in the hallway uh, at 8.30 every single week. We, ask, we get a group of people who are serving, and we ask them, hey, how have you seen God in this past week? What is God doing around you and in you? Share stories, uh, the outpost stories. That's why we have the outpost stories, is so we can be encouraged about what God is doing. And so let's be a people who remind ourselves and remind others what Christ is doing. The third thing, what will God do? What will Christ do? I'll tell you what Christ does. He, he's going to tell us in John 14, it says that 
He is, uh, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, I'm preparing a way, and I'm preparing a home and a house for you. And then later, I'm going to come get you, and we're going to go to that place. I'm going to take you to that place I'm preparing for you. That's what God is going to do. Not only is he going to do that, but he's going to finally deal with the sin in the world. He's going to be eternally glorified. That's what he's going to do. And the last one is this. If those last three things are true, let those guide you into answering this last one, which is how does God feel about you? Hey, if, if Christ saved you, if he sent his only son to die on the cross so that you can be saved, I'm pretty sure God loves you. And so if you don't hear anything from today, hear that God loves you. He loves you deeply. And so uh, it's important for us to be dependent on Christ so that we can learn how to be content. And so as I, uh, as I wrap up and the worship team comes up here, I kind of want to talk about uh, a few things. One, we've got to recap the points. Like, look, our contentment, please hear this. Our contentment cannot be about our circumstances. If our circumstances is, are dictating our contentment, we're in a world of trouble. What is our perspective? Contentment is about perspective. It deter- what we're looking at and focused on is determining how content we are. And the last is this, contentment is learned. Are we learning to be content? Uh, and so I'm going to leave us with some questions. And uh, I'll make it awkward. And when we get in, when you get in your cars and your family's all together, uh, go ahead and ask yourselves and ask your family these questions. I think I have to ask them almost every week to myself to make sure I'm doing okay. The first is this. How much time of you praying is really your time asking God for stuff? Has our discontentment seeped into our prayer life? How much time do you just ask God for stuff? Uh, This week I'm going to do something, okay? And I've done it before, but I challenge you to do it with me as well. Uh, Find me next week and tell me how it goes. But what I'm going to do is uh, for 15 minutes a day, I'm going to pray to God, which doesn't sound like a long time, but I promise you when you get to minute 10, your mind's going to start going crazy. Uh, But for 15 minutes, I'm going to sit and pray. And not once am I going to ask him for something. I'm going to thank him, praise him, remember what he's done, but I'm not going to ask him for anything. The second question is this. How much time do we spend thinking about material things we should or would have? This is me. I'll I'll admit, 10 days ago on a Thursday, I sat in the office and for 30 minutes I scrolled on Zillow looking at houses I can't even afford because I was discontent with where I'm at. And I think that's a lot of what we do. So how much time do we spend thinking about things we think we should have? And the last question is this. We are all inevitably going to get discontent at some point, or it's going to at least creep up. And so the last question is, are you okay with it? I think a lot of us, at times, are okay wanting more. We're okay being discontent. We're okay not being fully dependent on God. Are we okay with it? And so here's here's what I want us to do. The next time it comes up, pause, realize what's happening, 
take a step back and pray to God. Remember what he's done for us. Remember what he's doing. Remember what he will do. And remember that he loves you. God loves you guys. He loves you. We don't have to be discontent. So we have a God who is stable. He's fixed. He will not move. He will not change. And when we're reliant on that, we will be content. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time. I pray that uh, you were glorified. And, and I pray that this week we are completely dependent on you. We focus on you. We remember what you have done because it's about you. It's not about us. We love you.